Alright naturalists, no beating around the bush here. It's time to get our hands dirty, digging into the wild world of waste. In this season, we're covering the all that of scat, the scoop on poop, giving you some words on turds and feces on feces. We've got a whole file of puns and a pile of fun, and lots of fascinating fecal facts that are nuttier than squirrel scat. So join us in the stinky nethers of nature's bowels. This is the Single Acorn Pot Scat. But first, a word from our sponsor. If coming out of hibernation has you feeling grizzled, the weight of your hair unbearable, let us take care of you at Bear It All Waxing. Whether you're looking for the hairy bear, the just a little bear, or the barely there, our waxers will cater to your hair removal needs. We offer an array of services you can choose from arms, legs, back, tail, or snout hair removal. Whether for your own peace of mind or your special honey, call us today for a free consultation. Well, hey there, fellow naturalists, and welcome back to the Single Acorn Podcast. This is season two, and uh, I'm your host, Professor Iwigi, and I'm here with my co-host, Glenn the Gleaner, who is a <laughs> master scavenger with Venus Cloacinia's Greener Pastures Group. So you want to tell us about your work over there? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people think gleaning and scavenging is the same thing, but I think I think of it as being slightly different. They're pronounced differently, for one thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's the simple. It's the things. only distinction I've come up with, but it's a significant one, I think, when you're speaking. Yeah, we basically look for things that other people don't find uh, useful, and we we glean slash scavenge them and make use of them. You know, reduce, reuse, recycle. Sometimes we sneak into people's houses and glean things like televisions and cash from wallets. But other we don't useless really talk things. about that. Yeah, that part of our business too much. Yeah. So <laughs> cut that out from the podcast if you don't mind. I'm, I'm finding, Glenn, that you're involved in many Glenn, nefarious uh, Glenn the Gleaner. <laughs> I have a dark endeavors. side, but I, I give at least 10% to charity. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to have you here, Glenn, uh, to Thank talk you. about uh, our topic for season two. So uh, I believe you actually came up with this name, Feces on Feces. So we're going to be <laughs> <laughs> spending I'm excited. The next... Yeah. Season number two is on number two. Perfect. Yes. Apropos. There's much I don't know about this to- topic. I want to I want to throw that out there, but I'm 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 interested to learn more. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the same boat too. Um, so yeah, so what we're gonna do uh, in the first episode of this season is we'll cover sort of an overview of poop, scat, frass, feces, whatever you want to call it, and uh, then in subsequent episodes we're gonna look at the different ways that animals use poop uh, that are more functional than just eliminating waste. So, uh, yeah, Glenn, you want to start us off with maybe uh, your favorite scat moment or story? I have a story. It's I don't know if it's my favorite because I, I may think of... There's so many, right? It's like choosing your favorite child. It struck me that I bet most people have some sort of poop-related story or feces-related story. But um, mine, um, as you as you may know, I, did, I have worked in out, the outdoor education industry in the past as an outdoor educator. And there's sort of a classic trick, you know, sometimes when you're in outdoor education, you're out on the trail with, with some younger folks and you come across some, some scat, some animal scat, and you identify it, talk about what was there. But there's a trick, you know, you sneak ahead, maybe early in the morning, you get um, sort of a chocolate flavored cliff bar and you mold it into sort of the shape of a little poop, a little scat sample as it were. And um, you don't tell the young ones about this. And then you're going along on the trail and then all of a sudden you come to it and you're like, hey, wait, you know, hey, I think I think we should look at this, kids. Look at this. This is yeah. This is a really interesting specimen. I'm not totally sure what animal. Any guesses? You know, you like talk about it a little bit, maybe poke it with a stick, 
and then you're like, hey, you know, kids, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to get a little closer to this one. I think I'm gonna have to touch it. I want to see if it's still warm. And you start like poking, and you're like, ooh, you know, kids, I think I think I should smell it. You know, and I'm gonna have to pick it up, and it's like, ooh, and then you're like, <laughs> yeah, kind of poking a little more, like and looking at, it. you know what it is? I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to like grab a little piece off of it. You know, ooh, you know, kids, finally, like, kids, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to taste it to really it's the know. Only way to know. <laughs> the only way to really know what this animal's been eating, or this animal's been, or what even what animal it is. I'm gonna have to taste it. Then you take the whole thing and just sort of stuff it in your mouth and eat it. And it's like gross. Then you tell them. It's funny, haha. But I told some friends about this, and they did it. And uh, and I guess they came back to me and they're like, "Hey, we did your trick, you know, Glenn. Um, thanks a lot." Two kids threw up right away when we did it. <laughs> it's like they had this big group of kids just come to outdoor school, all excited to be there, and then they threw up when the they pretend to eat poop, which I think raises a lot of philosophical questions that we'll get back to um, in the podcast. But I kind of wanted to share that story with other. Maybe there's a bunch of kid listeners we have, so they don't, you know, get too traumatized if, yeah, if that, that trick happens to them. That's or to parents who want to play that trick on their kids. I tried that same trick. So yeah, I'm in the same world of environmental ed, and I did that uh, same trick. And uh, what I hadn't planned on was having uh, an unwitting accomplice. So I had this woman with us who was this elder in the community, and she's probably in her 70s. Uh, instead of using a cliff bar, we used, because uh, grouse poop is, so birds, they have uh, one word, uh, cloaca. So Venus... Right. Cloacinia, the goddess of the sewer. Um, so your company. Thank you. Yeah, uh, and... we, I know that. I know the name of my own company. Of course, <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> I forgot to ask, what was your guys's uh, your motto? Our motto: We love what we do, and we do what we love, and we do what we do. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So birds have a cloaca, so they have one hole, which is their sewer, and it's for everything. And so uh, their version of urine and uh, feces come out of the same hole. And they have these, uh, for grouse, they have uh, so these hard little pellets that have this white dusting on the outside of them. Right, which like look a powdered sugar. Yeah, like powdered sugar. It looks exactly like those tiny little candied uh, dates. And so we, <laughs> I used those and I was like, oh, I think this might be grouse. Uh, you know, and we went through the whole thing and everything. And I was like, the only way to know is to eat it. And then, of course, that was my cue for me myself to eat it but then this elder jane she was like i'll eat it and i was like you don't have to it's just, i'll eat it and she got super into it and then all the kids were eating it it was amazing they all thought so i had the opposite reaction and then afterwards i was like okay this isn't actually you know a, a responsible way of identifying scat here but then yeah. you now to clarify you were you using actual dates or you're using actual grouse scat no, we use the the little candy dates that the you can get dates. at the store. Um, so yeah, uh, that's nice. That's, yeah, that's, that teaches an um, identification lesson as well. Yeah, the cliff bar so, didn't have that. Yes. So the the story that I uh, was thinking about beforehand was um, sort of the opposite end of you know instead of encouraging people <laughs> to identify scat using taste um, was sort of like I, I feel like humans have so. Uh, scat doesn't objectively taste bad. That is us receiving, you know, molecules that are being emitted by a pile of dump and then it going into our brain and saying, oh, there's something about this that should be repelling to us because if we ingest it, it might be toxic. And so there's something like really gross and uh, that often results in like taboos around talking about or um, like drawing or whatever uh, images of scat. So uh, my mom, 
I don't know how she got on this, but she got obsessed with these uh, this idea of making kitty litter cakes. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. <laughs> uh, if you haven't, everyone yeah. just pause right now and go look up a kitty litter cake. Uh, basically what you do is you make this cake out of, you get uh, Oreos that have white cookies on them and you crumble them up with blue food coloring so they look like kitty litter. And then you melt uh, Tootsie Rolls and you sculpt them into little cat turds. And then you can put the whole cake inside of a kitty litter box and you can serve it with a little scoop. And so my mom was totally obsessed with making these and we were making them as a family and we were staying with my mom's best friend and we made it and her uh, best friend's son who is probably like seven or eight at the time, had the same response as the kids in your group where he didn't actually throw up, but he was completely repulsed by it and couldn't even look at it. But <laughs> I felt like there was something like, for us, there was a dark humor in it, but for him, there was something so viscerally repugnant Repellent. and disgusting about it that is like, you know, evolutionarily, evolutionary hackles were going up like, oh, this is gross. I can't even be near it. So... So maybe it's that, but it feels. So, are you thinking that so it's an evolutionary mechanism that kicks in a little bit later for us that that kind of re, we're repelled by it because it might make us sick? Yeah, I mean, I think it it does smell bad. Um, that's clear. Not, I mean, there's like through like uh, in in uh, in Victorian uh, England, uh, like in London, they had these pomanders, which were these little spice balls. And so sort of the wealthy upper class people would just carry them around and sniff them. And they had these really strong, potent herbs that were in the little pomanders. And they would use those to mask the smell of London, which smelled absolutely disgusting. Um, and I, I don't I mean, people didn't understand the direct link between the uh, the smell of or the toxins that were inside the waste, urine and feces that were being dumped into the River Thames. Um but they had some visceral repugnance at the scent, uh, the scent of the, the entire city, of the sewers. Yeah, so I think there's probably there's definitely a cultural element to it. Um, but I think there is sort of a biological uh, sort of underpinning to that cultural element. So, uh, all right. So we've sort of preambled a little bit here to introduce, uh, you know, why we're talking about or some of our maybe prior fascination with this. Um, but what is what's poop? What's yeah? What do you what comes to mind <laughs> when you think about poop? I mean, you think I mean, I think the, the common thing I've thought is it's, you know, we, we take in food and we use as much of it as we can. And then the part that we can't use, we kind of excrete out along with some like byproducts, you know, maybe part of our intestinal wall or something or some, some cells we don't need anymore. Just kind of get it out of the system. Things that might make us ill or we just don't have room for anymore. Get it out. Yeah. yeah, essentially, there are two different ways of describing the things that come out of your body. Uh, so you have things that you excrete and then you have things that you eliminate. Your definition was spot on where you're talking about think like your poop or scatter or whatever is the stuff that passes through your digestive tract that doesn't get used metabolically plus then a bunch of other stuff that's sort of mixed in but primarily it's stuff that doesn't actually go through the digestive process and then the stuff that you excrete is stuff that does go through your metabolic uh through different metabolic processes but then is a byproduct of those and is either a toxin or just useless and so then your body has to find a way of getting rid of those so both excretions and eliminations are we'll talk about both of those today uh, and those could basically those could broadly fall under the category of waste 
So yeah, stuff that's taken in that doesn't get used. So what would be some stuff that you take in your body that doesn't actually get used? I think the stereotype I have is like sort of fibrous husks, you know, like when I eat a coconut hole, usually the husk <laughs> kind of passes through. It's only the tender white center that I digest, which by the way, I don't, I don't recommend that. Yeah, that's another one of those like cultural things. It's not necessarily <laughs> I was, universally so my family. Yeah, it's approved. not a common thing. But we live we lived on an island of when I was young. Wait to clarify though. So to uh, is when we poop, Scott, is that not technically an excretion? That's more of an elimination, or is it both? Uh, mostly an elimination. So most of the stuff in there is stuff that's being eliminated through the body. So I mean, I guess we could take my dog boots. So if my dog eight, you know, underwear, pantyhose or, or something like that, we'll and, or a boot. Yeah. And then poop those out. That would be an elimination or say it was a wild relative of Boots's, and it was a fox and a fox ate a rabbit. It would ingest the bones. It would ingest the fur and the, you know, keratinous uh, fingernails and it wouldn't digest those. It would, it would just, those. Pat, it would eliminate those. I was just asking because we have this word excrement that seems, seems to indicate that we excrete. Yeah, I mean, definitely tied in. So excrement uh, is a like a non-scientific way of... Ah. It's like a vernacular way. Yes, yeah. ah, um, vernacular. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, some of the stuff that gets... Uh, um, some of the stuff that gets eliminated, so not used, would be like what I just mentioned in the fox's scat, uh, the hair, bones, uh, nails. And then also, you know, when you ingest... In animal, like our bodies are made up of 75% water, and we're not gonna, if we ingest something, we're not gonna use all of that water. Some of it will just get passed through us. Um, we're mostly gonna talk about animals. Our last episode, we'll talk about plants in this season. And uh, with plants, plants uptake tons of water, and about 95% of the water that a plant uptakes through its roots evaporates out as waste without ever being used in any metabolic process. Wow. Right? Yeah. If you look at a beaver scat is super hard to find uh, because they poop underwater and they poop out basically sawdust. So they don't eat wood, but they wind <laughs> up ingesting a bunch of wood just in the process of eating the inner bark. How not... does one find that? You snorkel around behind them with a little a Ziploc? <laughs> yeah, you could. In the winter, uh, sometimes you, like if there's clear ice over a dam, you can walk up and the water's a little bit calmer. So if the water is not, you know, rushing more vigorously over the dam, then it's not breaking up the little pellets. And so sometimes in the winter, there'll be a congregation of little beaver pellets uh, under the ice. So you can find them that way. Huh. But yeah, they're just, it's just sawdust. So it's stuff that the beaver has ingested and egested, exgested, I don't know, uh, but eliminated out of its body uh, without actually having digested any of it. What about stuff that other waste products that, uh, maybe are like byproducts of metabolism. Of metabolism itself? Yeah, or stuff that goes into your body and gets used and then is a waste product. Well, I mean, I guess I think of, you know, carbon dioxide being our, one of our main waste products, breathing it out. I've been trying to be more efficient to eliminate that out also by my butt as well. Um, <laughs> when I breathe out just so it doesn't breathe into people's face when I'm in a conversation, but I haven't succeeded at that. So that tends to come out of my mouth usually, or nose. Yeah. I don't know what it's like for you. 
Again, we don't have to make this about our personal habits because this is more of a general conversation. Yeah, I mean, uh, CO2 comes out of your mouth, but uh, for <laughs> <laughs> um, for plants, it comes out of their roots. Like if they're using energy in their roots, um, they'll be off-gassing CO2, but up in the leaves, the CO2 just gets used in photosynthesis. But yeah, CO2 is a huge one. We uh, excrete that out through our mouths, <laughs> which is kind of a <laughs> super gross way of saying exhale. I'm also, I mean, it's super hot up in my attic right now. And uh, I'm sweating a ton. And so I'm like excreting water, but I'm also excreting salt, which helps facilitate the process of, of sweating. So yeah, salt well, is another one. Rehydrating and resalting. Stay healthy, yeah. Teague. <laughs> Thanks, Hot I'm times. drinking a ton while, <laughs> while we do this. In these turbulent times. Yeah. Good. So uh, your body needs to maintain homeo uh, homeostasis. So the elimination stuff is not around homeostasis, so the scat stuff. But then there are other things in your body like you need to have some salt in your body but you don't want to have too much if you know you take in a bunch of salt then you need to excrete some of that out and some of the salts that are so say you eat a bunch of salty food your body uses some of the salts but it also needs to eliminate uh some of it or excrete i should say well that uh, be in some our of food? that would that possibly show up in our scat there would be a very little bit of salt in your scat, but we are, we're a three hole system. Uh, and so we have <laughs> one hole for things to go in and then we have two holes for things to go out. Yeah. So we have a urinary tract. And so most of like your urine is like, uh, one and a half percent salt or something like that. It's, you know, 95% uh, water and a little bit nitrogenous waste. Um, nitrogenous waste is like if you ingest protein, and so actually wait uh, if you go on like bodybuilding forums and you i uh, do yeah which as you, you do, do. Also, yeah, um, of course. yeah yeah of course <laughs> um Stay yeah. fit. listeners can't see us because this is a podcast but we are the <laughs> I can barely pinnacles the of physical fitness yeah. and uh yeah so bodybuilders report uh having to uh urinate far more frequently like when they're doing high protein diets and it's because if you're taking in all of this protein your body has to break it down it's not 100 percent efficient and as it breaks down a protein into its amino acids there are ammonium is given off and ammonium is what has to get excreted from the body because it's toxic and so you have to pee more frequently the higher in protein your diet is um, which works out well yeah. if you're like a territorial carnivore and you eat nothing but meat. You have a bunch of uh, really smelly ammonia that you have to pee that you can send once your territory. territory. Make yeah. virtue of necessity. Yeah. As my grandmother would tell me when she would go pee in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was she scent marking? She scent marked a little bit when we lived on the island and ate coconuts. Do you ever read uh, <laughs> Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood? I have not, I don't think. I have some vague recollection of there are these sort of um, meathead humans or something that mark out the territory and they just walk around the, the boundaries of their territory just peeing on the edges. It's like a bunch of meathead guys. <laughs> Those are the orcs or the crakes? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. Maybe both. Okay. Yeah. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, so, so basically the metabolic uh, toxins that your body has to get rid of, uh, so ammonium, carbon dioxide, uh, for plants, they have to get rid of oxygen, which is toxic to plants, and then salts uh, for animals, and then water, and then sometimes as a, a byproduct, not of the animal's digestive process, but of bacteria that live inside the animal would be methane. 
So there's the elimination hole, which is for pooping. And then there are a bunch of other holes, like we have sweat glands and stuff. And then we also have a urinary tract. Um, so we have these two main holes for getting rid of uh, excretions and elimination. So urinary tract and then uh, the digestive tract. Keep them separate. That's our system a little bit. Yeah. And then birds, again, that cloaca, which means Latin for sewer, uh, they have one hole for eliminating all their waste together. But internally, the excretions, so uh, for birds, they pass fluids through their kidneys and their kidneys produce what's called uric acid, which is this water insoluble thing that basically forms these crystals that form like a white paste. And that's why bird poop has that sort of white paste. But after it filters through the kidneys, in birds and it meets up with the the intestinal tract of the digestive system and then the two get merged and uh it's like, it's like cars merging on a highway together. in a sense like cars merging freeway two or, big like jelly cars that merge and slam into together tributaries into a stream yeah. I, I think i would like to point out just for the gender gender balance gender awareness that um perhaps uh females among our species have an additional hole for that deals with you know periodic waste and the elimination of babies. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. Um, we which, we may have I, to find another way of. <laughs> we may not be as as expert in this that particular topic as some others might be. True, but I think it does bring up uh, uh, an impression I had that part of our waste is 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 some of our own cells that are no longer needed and are sloughed off in our intestinal tract, and then presumably as well in the woman's reproductive system, kind of sloughing off things periodically yeah sure definitely blood cells that get filtered through the liver and then can get broken down so older blood cells or um, blood cells that are no longer functioning anymore will pass through the liver and get broken down and then some of that will wind up going directly into the intestinal tract and getting washed out and that's why your uh, stools tend to have like a browner reddish kind of color to them because they have the iron rich red blood cells in um and then white blood cells uh like when you have a runny nose say you get sick you need to excrete some of the well you need to eliminate whatever's causing you to get sick but you also need to eliminate the white blood cells that have done their job and so you have a bunch of mucus when you get sick um but yeah there are other ways that's white blood cells probably i did not know that yeah so a lot of done their job and they're exhausted they're done you can't like you know, revive them. No. And go at it again. No. There's one shot deals, like that, a honeybee stinger. Uh, that I'm not sure of. And I mean, your snot isn't just white blood cells, but there's an abundance of them in your snot. There's also like mucus. I'm not saying, just for the record, I'm not that interested in recycling my own snot. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a really good idea. Yeah. So I'd have to be convinced of that one. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So we've talking about uh, the stuff that uh, gets eliminated. So the stuff that things don't use in digestion at all, uh, the stuff that gets uh, excreted as metabolic byproducts, and then also stuff that's no longer functional, like the red blood cells. So then the question is, how do you get rid of it? And we've already talked about this. Um, it sort of depends on your way of ingesting. So for like single celled organisms that, you know, if you have, if if you're metabolic, so if you're alive, you're generating waste uh, as a matter of life. So as a, a consistent backdrop to uh, it's a rule. respiring. It's a rule of 
scientific law there's always some waste exactly um, nothing perfect. is 100 percent efficient, efficient. And so if those wastes build up it's toxic to the individual so there needs to be some way of getting rid of it so if you're like an amoeba and you phagocytose i don't know how to say that you when you if you know, surround the thing and you like you gulp it in yeah, yeah so yeah so if you're amoeba and yeah you use phagocytosis to eat then yeah. you ingest this into a single-celled organism and there are these little vesicles that transport enzymes to whatever food particle was just ingested. They break it down, and then the same uh, types of vesicles then will just take whatever harmful byproducts are generated and move towards the outside of the cell and then just dump Pass out. Pass it out? Yeah, and then so just... anywhere in their membrane. It's basically like they're pooping from everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, they have a million buttholes, if I should say it in <laughs> yeah. poetic terms. They have an infinite number of uh, <laughs> infinite. potential butthole uh, spaces. <laughs> uh, that just is my, my respect for the amoeba, which was already significant because he'd grown even more. Yeah, they're they're pretty wonderful little critters. So if you're just a single-celled organism, they don't necessarily they don't have an, uh, a single hole for taking food in. It's just wherever their external membrane collides with a potential food thing, they envelop it and then they digest it and then whatever area the vesicle comes in contact with on the outer part of the cell then they can just dump out those products and uh, this is super easy if you're living in like an aquatic environment you can just let you know let the that vesicle, thing, let things flow dump it out and then it just diffuses into the environment um, so the the first uh, or earliest animals so sponges are the first animals that appear and they're uh, Usually, or they're basically colonial organisms, so it's a bunch of different cells that kind of specialize, but uh, it's a single unit or one sponge is made up of a ton of different individuals that are aggregating together. And they have a sort of similar thing where uh, they use, they filter feed, and then they have the same process of just diffusing out waste products by having these vesicles uh, dump products out into the environment. And they live in aquatic Again, environments, so that works for yep. them. Yeah. Uh, and then, so the next step It doesn't there, come much, much, but I've noticed, I don't know if you've seen SpongeBob SquarePants a lot, but... I have, but I, really say, like, I never I'm going to go let some things out of my vesicles. Yeah, they don't show that. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, maybe we could write in something just to help teach the kids a bit more on that front. Yeah, add a little bit of biology to SpongeBob Square, SquarePants. Yeah, why not? Yeah, especially in these times, you know, kids got to learn from wherever they can. That's right, yeah. Why not Nickelodeon? So um, so the next step would be having a, a, sing, or a single entrance and a single exit. So the next animals that evolved from sponges were these um, sort of bilaterally symmetrical, or actually the next things that evolved were uh, cnidarians, the uh, jellies. And those also just use diffusion Vessels. to eliminate diffusion. waste. Um, but then after that, you have things that have bilateral symmetry, and so they move in a single direction. Uh, and they had one hole for taking. That's in where stuff, we get the first. If I may put it this way, the first butthole. Which organism would have had the first butthole? <laughs> I just need to know this for when we, I have the talk with my son. Yeah, um, ribbon worms. Ribbon worms. Wow, blue ribbon. Yeah, blue ribbon. Um, so. Uh, I'm trying to think because they're, they're blue. Well, ribbon worms use they have sort of both systems, so they're super primitive. So they have this digestive tract that starts to form, but they also use diffusion to just get rid of waste. So um, 
a similar process to the sponge. Yeah, so they could use both. It's not until you get to the vertebrates where you have these three hole systems where you have one hole for ingesting stuff, one hole for the metabolic waste, which is the urinary tract, and then one hole, which is the anus, uh, for the elimination of the undigested materials. Easy peasy. Um, w- one cool thing that I came across uh, while I was reaching, researching this is, um, so ammonia, which is uh, a, a gas in its... Uh, pure form? Yeah, in its pure form, sure. <laughs> and because it's a gas, uh, you don't necessarily need to have it in fluid, in urine. And so some terrestrial snails and wood lice, uh, which are like little isopods, like uh, roly-polies, will just, they have these pores and they'll just evaporate ammonia out of their evaporate bodies. Evaporate out, not fart it out. Not fart it out clear. or not pee it out. They just, they just let, let it go. It, let it go. It seeps out of their bodies. Let it waft away. Yeah. I have a question about this. So you mentioned that <clears throat> uh, nothing in nature is, is 100% efficient, that waste is building up. Yeah. Now, presumably, we're going to get into um, what is waste for one one organism, maybe actually food for another organism. Yeah. But... In the end, is there like this eventual buildup, this pileup of waste that's going on on Earth where we can't really get rid of all the waste that's out there, it doesn't get recycled, and then we're just getting more and more waste? Yeah. Like a giant dump, and then we're eventually just going to be one big ball of waste. <laughs> yeah. Before well, so the sun explodes. In Europe, like in medieval Europe, they used to just have pigs roaming around in the cities, and they would just feed on excrement and waste and stuff like that. Um, but then the problem is that the pigs also the pigs poop. Yeah, they didn't see all that over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's that detail. <laughs> so in a system, like say you had a system, uh, well, any system moves towards uh, entropy, which is the right. Uh, reduction of order yeah the increase in disorder and we have a constant influx of energy in the form of the sun right and so because we have this constant source of energy we can continually move towards order at the same time we're moving towards disorder so there's break the law yeah i mean i hate to think about the earth as like a an organism that is self-regulating but there is some sort of homeostasis or balance between the entropic forces moving towards disorder and the ectropic uh forces which are moving towards order i actually i wrote a choose your own adventure coloring book for kids (laughs) that was the forces of entropy order disorder forces of entropy (laughs) and you got to choose children's yeah you got to choose your own uh uh, organism. So it basically went through the taxonomic levels and you could choose where you wanted to wind up. Gonna and... be, that's going to be huge. Yeah. Once we get a slightly more educated infant, yeah. infant population. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the ocean, despite the fact that amoebas are, are releasing things through their vesicles apparently all the time and jellies, just this constant flow of waste that we're somehow using the power of the sun. It, to, other organisms are making use of that. And there's not a buildup in the ocean of more and more waste. Well, I mean, there definitely is. I mean, that's why the oceans are salty, Um, not because of animal waste exclusively, but um, there are salts in rock and all the rock winds up making its way eventually down into the oceans. And Um, is it getting saltier and saltier, the ocean with time? Yeah. Um, But there's also the inverse process where you have uh, orogenic or mountain building events. And so you have some of that sediment that's built up on the ocean floor that then gets taken away, gets pushed up like the Himalayas are still uh, being Phew. pushed up. And so being pushed up out of the ocean, you also have um, like volcanic rocks where you have stuff that's, you know, 
okay. being pushed up above uh, water. So new land is being formed. So there's sort of this process of cycling of nutrients and, and waste. But I mean, you can, I mean, you can build soil for sure. So like thin, shallow soils, like in, uh, if you look at like the further North you go, the thinner soil soils are because there's less organic material turning over. But if you have the constant transformation of carbon dioxide, which is a gas into a solid like sugar, then you have the accumulation of organic material that then can be broken down in the soil and transformed into this sort of biological crust or all this biological material that's in the soil that slowly builds up over time. So like if you go, that's why you have to do archaeological excavations because soil builds up and some of the soil might be stuff that's flooded in or come in on the wind, but some of it is just organic material that's built up over time and buried, you know, these old ancient ruins. That's right. We tend to think of like, you know, you know, the dangers of erosion and things are always going to wash away and rain's going to, but, but there's actually this converse process of things building up and burying things. Yeah. I mean, it's not all waste uh, in the sense of excretion or elimination. Like 99%, I guess, of the dust in your house is dead skin cells. Yeah. And like we sweep and vacuum and clean all that stuff away. And you have to do that constantly. But you can imagine after a thousand years of humans living in your house, if you never, you know, opened your doors to let wind blow skin out (laughs) or swept up or vacuumed, (laughs) uh, stuff would start to accumulate pretty quickly. Accumulate. And yeah, it'd probably be a terrible place for, I don't know, some sort of party anniversary, dinner party even. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I know you don't like to think of the earth as an organism, but it is, it is, you know, we are in some sense thinking of these sort of waste products of the earth and rebuilding of waste products at some level. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are certainly cycles, like there's a nitrogen cycle, a carbon dioxide or a carbon cycle. There are all these different cycles where at different stages, you know, different organisms have different uses for things. So, But returning to the matter at hand that I think our viewers, our listeners, and maybe they're viewers, maybe people are just looking at the podcast yeah. <laughs> as it goes across. Um, animal poop. Where do we go next for that? Yeah, well, I mean, we could talk about uh, content. So like thinking about what is inside of poop. And I, I think this is where it kind of gets interesting because we have... Uh, my interest in poop. I have far too many conversations with my wife about poop <laughs> because we have a three-year-old now. Right. And as a naturalist, I, my interest in it is primarily using it as like a detective. And so if you find a uh, scat out in the woods or uh, on a beach or wherever you are, on a windowsill in your house, uh, is starting to craft together a story of, you know, what was this animal's life like? What was it eating? My dog can detect, you know, male versus female for other dogs. And so how do animals interact with us and what can we tell? And so the first question that usually comes up and like as you first start to think about tracking or using animal sign is just identification. And so for identification of scat, you want to look at like what's the shape and the texture of it. um, And then also what are the contents of it and where is it located? And so we could you know, talk about those different things. Yeah. For the rest of this. Sure. So, so Glenn, we'll just back up and instead of me talking about it, let's talk about you. So when you're out in the woods, um, you know, you, (laughs) whether it's a cliff bar, you're looking at or an actual animal, uh, scat, 
what do you look for for or what do you notice as some broad patterns of looking at scat in terms of what their shape is right well again so i you know i have a, a much more rudimentary sense of this than uh, an accomplished tracker such as maybe yourself but you know one of the thing, first things is it uh, a bunch of pellets which is like one group of animals or is it like sort of loggish a little bit, or, you know, is it twisted a little bit? In addition to what's inside, you know, what you can see are their hairs or their berries. But definitely the one major class would be the groups of pellets, which I believe are most often deer, rabbits, moose, and um, certain kinds of birds. Yeah, um, I mean, not quite as prominently, but also like sheep, uh goats definitely horse to a certain degree cows um, ungulates we might say yeah and so what do what do those things all have in common i guess they're all eating um grasses and sort of cellulose type rich I, i'm guessing yes plants. super super fibrous diets fibrous. yeah uh, so uh, if you look at like the the shape or even the texture there's actually for humans there's a bristol stool chart and there's I've like seen seven, that, the seven, ty seven types of yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's Great. seven different categories, and for humans, the the first category is like the basically rabbit poop. So you know if you're super constipated, we have pellets. You have pellets, yeah. So it breaks down in these smaller little pellets and things that are herbivores. If you're eating plants, it's easier to take an animal and convert it into an animal than it is to take a plant and convert it into an animal and so things that are eating plants it takes a lot more time to break down that vegetative matter inside the gut and transform it into biomass of the animal's body if you're a rabbit and you take a bite of something it has to spend and also rabbits have really like significantly longer digestive tracts than carnivores do and so that grass with a bunch of other grass or my blueberries uh whatever is going through the rabbit's <laughs> digestive tract stays in there for a long time the first part of the digestive tract the small intestine which in humans is like 20 feet long and um as it passes through the small intestines uh there are all these um digestive enzymes that are in there that are further breaking down the um the it's called and chyme. bacteria right do they have bacteria yeah well? and they have bacteria, bacteria and some of it gets uh pumped into a cecum we're going to talk about rabbit digestion in, in detail in detail yeah in the third episode in the series but as it's it passes through the small intestine and then it gets to the long intestine for humans it's about five feet long so it's shorter and in the first part uh, it's further getting broken down, but mostly nutrients are getting absorbed into the intest the small intestines. And then once that chyme, uh, which is the little chunk of food, enters into the large intestine, then water is getting absorbed from the uh, from the what becomes the fecal mass. And so the longer that the material, whatever is passing is through, the drier is it in gets, there, the drier, the more water gets absorbed out of it. So by the time it gets to the end of the rabbit's gut, it's been in the rabbit's gut for a long period of time. And um, and then it forms these little pellets. So you can kind of imagine like, say you have a, a um, like an avalanche and a rock fractures off the wall. It's going to be jagged and sharp and have all these rough ends. And then if it makes its way into a river and it spends a long time in that it river. It keeps tumbling and polishes it, rounds it off. Yeah, bit. it gets rounded off. So that's part of, the process of of when it dries out it 
breaks into smaller pieces, but it also gets rounded as it gets pushed through, um, through, it's called peristalsis, the sort of rhythmic pulsing of the muscles along the intestines. Hardly time. How long in a rabbit? I mean, how long would it stay in there? Like a, a blade of grass? You know, the that, it goes in, could it be days? That's a good question. About? I try to find uh, research on how long it takes for uh, different animals um, to have something pass through their digestive tract. Um, for humans, it's really well studied. Weirdly enough, I found that for females, it's about two and a half days that um, it would be the transit time, the full transit time for like all parts of food for something to pass through. And then for men, it's 1.9 days. 1.9. Okay. So it's shorter wow. for men than women for some reason. But I couldn't find <laughs> good information on the transit time for my yeah, grandmother who maybe she this was a scientific impulse but i sort of swallowed a quarter by mistake i won't go into <laughs> how that happened in high school and she became very fascinated and i think she was worried it was going to stay in me and you know i don't know what <clears throat> block something you yeah. know lead to my death so she would systematically look through my <clears throat> you know my waist and she eventually found it it was almost exactly two days later and she put it in an envelope and it said, you know, Glenetter and in and it had a date and out. And it was two days later. I still remember <laughs> the two days. Cool. That's yeah. Yeah. It's so good to I know. So experiment. it might have been one point nine days. You know, I don't really. She didn't keep fractions. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you if you accidentally swallowed a ring or something, you don't have to just constantly check your scat the yeah, first day. You could while. wait two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's you that's the kind of useful information for our listeners yeah definitely keep, keep people coming back yeah um, um but yeah wow, so with so... herbivores that have that yeah scat or um food material that stays inside their digestive tract for longer uh they have a, a much more pellety type of uh stool than uh a carnivore um but also i so uh i mentioned horses and um uh, I mentioned cows. horses and cows and they're not very pellety. They're not very pellety. And both of them, like cows in particular, the ruminants have the four chambered stomachs. And so mostly what is passing through the digestive tract, the lower part of the digestive tract is like a sludge of bacteria that they're digesting rather than the vegetative material that they ingest. They're letting the bacteria break it down. And so they have some fiber in their diet, but a lot of it is, they're just more efficient. So a lot of that has already gotten broken down by bacteria. So it doesn't, the f digested material doesn't spend as long in the intestines in cows as it does in rabbits or deer, goats. Because they are more efficient. They have these, yeah. all these stomachs with helpful bacteria. Yeah. That's the way I think of it. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at like carnivores, which have these sort of ropey, they don't have the pellety ones. So they're right. carnivores. So they're mostly eating, uh, yeah, other animals. other animals. So their digestive tracts don't have to be nearly as long. Stuff passes through much quicker. Um, and it, it, having these sort of ropey uh, hair covered uh, turds that come out um, <laughs> It helps uh, sort of protect the digestive wall from the sharp bits that they're ingesting of like a mouse's claws bones, and its yeah. bones, like broken bones. I and see. yeah. But then if you, so it, like if you look at um, uh, like weasel scat or coyote scat that are both, I mean, they have powerful jaws and they'll eat animals like either swallow them whole or crunch the bones as with dogs. They have ropier, more like, a single unit of poop that comes out whereas like bobcats or lynx 
that like your if you have a cat your cat has that sandpapery tongue so instead of chomping through bones and risking breaking those delicate uh, but sharp teeth they will lick meat off of bones and so they ha they have fewer bones in their scat and because they have fewer bones, they can have the scats stay in their digestive tract longer. Um, they don't have to worry as much about having uh, all the teeth and stuff packed and teeth and broken bones packed inside fur because they don't have as much of that in there. So cat scat tends to be a little bit blockier rather than just one sinewy kind of hairy mess. I see. So the hairy mess, the hairy rope is to protect protect. The innards of the carnivores. Yeah. And would you say we humans, to, I mean, I know there's these seven, but if we were to like munch down on hair and bones, would we get a hairy rope, rope-like yeah. Um, yeah, elimination? Yeah, I mean, your stomach is like insanely acidic. It's whatever pH of 2 or 2.5 or something like that. Um, and then your intestines are not, they're a pH of like 7 or something. Um, but bones, which are made out of calcium, uh, can dissolve in if the bone is small enough uh, the bone can actually di dissolve in the uh, digestive tract so if you were eating like mice rib cages you know ribs from <laughs> mice or something a little rack of ribs uh, your body would probably dissolve those just fine um, yeah but if you're eating something a little bit larger that might be a, a larger risk. Uh, I guess. I guess I was getting to the question of: Could a human, a really talented human, like imitate these these different animals and produce poops that resembled those of different animals by adjusting their diet, maybe their exercise regimen? Yeah. I'm not saying you should do this, but yeah, uh, probably. I mean, or it would be a really award-winning circus trick. But yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, like yeah, uh, like rodents, which have really incredible. Um, kidneys and uh, the ability to absorb a lot of uh, the water from the uh, feces before it, uh, eliminating it they have like really dry little pellets so I guess if you were just perennially really de dehydrated <laughs> then you could have <laughs> you could more of that than like a rabbit uh, okay. kind of turd. I'm thinking this experiment's not worth it for any of our listeners who are thinking of taking up this challenge I would say. Yeah. Not advisable. Yeah. There's all kinds of internet facts. I don't know if you... So my, my research role is sort of more popular culture in this. Yeah, as great. You know, so there's these questionable internet facts, whether they're true or not, but it's supposedly the longest poop was... Um, a human poop was 26 feet long and was done like on a bowling alley because it was long enough. The person sort of like moved as they pooped. And <laughs> That's apparently, so gross. <laughs> apparently you can, <laughs> according to the internet, which is never wrong. Um... We have a part of our, our sphincter, I suppose, or muscles in there somewhere um, sort of clip clip our poops usually into different yeah. segments. But if you learn to relax, you can, can, can create one long, more continuous one. Yeah, I mean, you you have like eight pounds of potential poop inside you at any one point, but your so poop only the weighs about a pound. Um, yeah, I don't think this would be a great game show for... Yeah. I mean, I guess we didn't really talk about like uh, how, how you poop. So basically... Um, yeah, food sort of builds up. You have uh, three sphincters. You have like a cardiac sphincter, which is um, up higher around the the, um, the stomach that prevents material in your stomach from coming back up into your esophagus. Right. Uh, but then once stuff starts to pass down into your intestines and then it reaches uh, the end of your um, 
uh, your long intestine uh, at the rectum, and there's like a small little pouch there. And as peristalsis, which is again this rhythmic pushing of material through your intestines, wave like, and so as it pushes stuff, yeah, your uh, your first little uh, internal sphincter relaxes and stool moves down towards the <laughs> the anus, and the then sphincter. Can we control that at all? Can yeah, people yeah, that? yeah, yeah. So you control that. Um, I mean, consciously. And so that's once uh, that little pouch there uh, at the rectum fills up and is full, then it sends signals to your brain like, okay, there's you know a full pouch in here. We got to get rid of it. And that is a, a muscle that you can somewhat actively, although if you've ever been in a really bad situation, you know that <laughs> sometimes you can't mentally control it. Um, yeah. And uh, an odd it's an odd muscle that we get yeah, around full control yeah and so that you have like this anal sphincter and and that's the the last one um that you can kind of control so another yeah. internet fact that came across today uh so apparently they can measure the pressure with which we can expel yeah. our waste and apparently penguins uh, are like have a hundred times more pressure yeah than human when they expel their poop yeah there's they're strong uh, so we have these um, uh, butterflies called spotted skippers. So uh, one of my favorite plants I've grown outside my house is hog peanut. And they're these really delicate little tendrilene vines. And the, they're a host plant for these uh, silver, um, silver spotted skippers. And the caterpillars for them, they have this, uh, it's called an anal comb. And I looked, <laughs> I did a Google image search, absolutely put a safe search on uh <laughs> before you do this, I, like, I was like i had it thing. i had it in my head of what i was going to be seeing when i did the image search <laughs> and then it showed up and i was i was just like looking that's at it completely confused and then i was like oh my god that's not what i wanted so make sure you're looking uh yeah good you get again, your filters good on sound advice so anyway so they have this anal comb many caterpillars have them and it was kind of a mystery what this was used for. It looks like a comb or like a comb that you would comb your hair. But it's it's uh, sort of this anus? like flap, a flap underneath the anus that uh, has these little comb kind of comb structures on it. Structures. Okay. And they uh, they can shoot the uh, the little frass is the name of, uh, of right. scat Catapult. for insects. insects. And they can shoot it like 40 times their body length away. And so Good Lord. the uh, initial description of this is that it was like an anal launch pad or something like that so it was like almost <laughs> like a ramp it would get projected down and then launch off of the the little anal comb oh, like but it turns motorcycle jumper yeah but it turns out it's okay. basically just um uh like a dam and so it blocks up the up anus from releasing boom. the frass and so then blood pressure builds up in that area as the um, you know, the frass gets larger and larger and larger, and then eventually the pressure builds to a point where the flap, which is holding it back, releases like a dam being breached, and there's this just like explosive force. Wow. So that would be just quick math. I think that would be almost an entire football field, uh, 240 feet if I could do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be, be formidable. Yeah. So are they, are they selling the frass so far away <laughs> And then away if you could aim it right, you could probably get it to smear across the whole bowling lane. <laughs> You could break the record and discourage mugging. Um, so do they shoot their frass out so far for a reason? Is it like harder for predators to find them because their frass is not like right next to them? It's just way away, 40 body lengths. 
Yeah, exactly. So it's just a party trick. <laughs> have you seen it? Have you seen it boop out? Like, that's pretty far. No, I've seen the I've seen the caterpillars, but I uh, have not seen that behavior. Pretty amazing. Um, but uh, so poop smells. Um, and if you're a predator that specializes in parasitizing the caterpillar, then you might learn to detect the remnants like peregrine falcons can see the ultraviolet reflections of uh vol mm-hmm. urine Voles, yeah right. and Testicles so you too, having a way of detecting yep um the falcons and so if you have uh a way of detecting the sign so urine or feces of your prey then you'd be able to detect where it is uh rather than just having to rely on seeing that thing and so if you're a parasitic wasp that parasitizes the caterpillars and you can detect the smell of the frass rather than having to visually see the caterpillar uh you can get drawn in from a, a much farther range it makes me wonder why all you know why more animals haven't developed this explosive poop strategy yeah well we'll we'll talk about it when we talk about uh animals that eat poop we'll talk about some strategies uh yeah in a later (laughs) i think all of our listeners want it's more strategies around this yeah yeah (laughs) everybody's been asking for seven episodes straight on (laughs) crap (laughs) yeah just strategy strategy building yeah so i guess maybe the last thing um that we could talk about is just uh so where so uh, poop is definitely an adaptation that animals have for eliminating waste and dealing with the potential buildup of toxins in their body but then if you have this thing that's just a waste then there are potential other adaptations that you could have for using that waste in different ways and some of those inform the next part which is just like where animals poop like rabbits will just kind of as they'll leave these little strings of pellets. They don't have a particular place that they care to poop. It just Just kind of falls out whenever it's ready. When nature calls. Yeah. Um, But for many animals, they'll only poop when they're feeling really safe. I was looking at research because my dog, when he poops, just stares at me. (laughs) And it's super, super uncomfortable. And I was like, (laughs) why? You you maintain the eye contact? Just like, it's okay, buddy. You're doing good. (laughs) Yeah. So... I read uh, one hypothesis was that uh, dogs, so animals want to poop when they feel safe and secure because it's a vulnerable time where they might not be able to defend themselves. Yeah, they could be attacked. And so if your dog is pooping and my dog definitely like struggles um, and it takes, you know, some researchers uh, looked at animals across the spectrum and found that animals, regardless of size, take between nine and 20 seconds or something to defecate. And so nine to 20 seconds isn't a huge amount of time, but, uh, you know, that's a significant amount enough where you could be prey. And so potentially dogs are looking at you where they're because dogs are pack animals. So they're looking at you and like, hey, you you keep a lookout. I'm going to take a dump. And so they're like beckoning you to, yeah, make sure that they stay safe. So probably the researchers that were timing that, you know, at least when they were doing the dogs, were soothing the dogs as well. <laughs> Looking yeah. at them with their stopwatches. It was yeah. a mutually beneficial research. Yeah, well, they did Sounds elephants, like... they did uh, mice, they did everything. Yeah. Nine to 20 seconds. Yeah. I think humans are, I think we're not, we're behind the times a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Something's well, I mean, gone wrong. Yeah, if you're, if you're I mean, healthy. I, I, again, not my own personal, I'm usually two or three seconds and done. But... <laughs> speed demon people i know some of my friends take a while yeah um i guess we're also talking about the the timing so um uh, some animals like sloths will poop once a week 
They climb down from the tree and poop, right? Yeah, they poop on the ground. Uh, it's unclear why. Why? Yeah. yeah. Maybe they just need the exercise. Yeah, it could be for the exercise. One possible thing is they feed up in the trees, and so uh, if they if you know they have to climb down a tree and walk across the ground to go to another tree, and so there's the possibility that if they poop at the base of a tree that they're feeding on, they mark it as their territory and go, "Hey, other sloths, I either I'm like a receptive female or uh, I'm feeding here. Don't come up." Um, yeah, so that's one good reason, um, but. Yeah, like an elephant poops multiple times a day. Uh, I went to this exhibit uh, in Philadelphia called the Scoop on Poop, and you could step on. Uh, <laughs> you could step on. Um, I was like a. I think I was twenty five at the time, and it was a kids' By museum. By the way, Scoop and on Poop just... would have would have been a reasonable name for the podcast, but it was already taken. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, I forgot to say at the beginning, uh, the single acorn uh, pod scat. That was my like <laughs> my good idea. It's an anagram. Yeah. But anyways, um, or poop scat, poop cast. Uh, so they had this scale that you could step on and it would tell you how many hours worth of elephant poop that you weighed. And so elephants poop like it's like 180, 200 pounds or something uh, a day. Um, a day? A day, which oh is my incredible. God. Um, horses are like 30 pounds a day. Um so, uh, so I stepped on the scale and I weighed like nine and a half hours worth of, of poop, but they're not just doing, you know, a continuous stream of poop or just one giant thing. It's like multiple times a day. So different animals have different amounts. It's a humbling kind of experience, isn't it? To just yeah. be reduced to nine and a half hours of elephant poop. Yeah. 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 It's good for, good for us to be taken down a peg sometimes. Yeah. Um, in terms of other ways of timing it, like birds will poop right before flying. So if you see robins on a perched on a fence and then I they fly off, they'll often poop right before they fly. And it's Is everything it sort of about... like a jet propulsion thing, just like <laughs> yeah, it's like the the penguins that you're mentioning. <laughs> Um, no, I think it, it's mostly because like everything about birds is designed to be aerodynamic, and so it's just a way of getting rid of a lot of water weight and waste weight. Yeah, I was reading. It was. I think this is again. Much of this was <laughs> from simple sources like Wikipedia, but there was a picture of a marathon runner who won the London uh, Marathon in maybe 2005. I can't remember the exact year, but she apparently like had to go, and she just stood in the middle, like the middle of the race, with spectators and cameras present. She like unloaded a bit. Yeah, made herself lighter, and then won. She won. She's yeah. famous for it. Yeah, great. Uh, I mean, one the one of the things that I've noticed. So I'm a competitive athlete, also, and. Um, I fortunately have never done that in a race, um, but <laughs> that might be a winning strategy. Also, might intimidate your opponent. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it's crazy. I mean, before a race, like you get race nerves, and your body just flushes its system and totally, you know, which um, is good. Yeah, good. evacuates everything, and so it makes you much, much, much lighter. Which I don't know if that's like an evolutionary strategy. If you were getting all psyched up to go on a persistence hunt and you wanted to be lighter, then maybe it would make sense in that way. But it is sort of, it's probably more of like a fear kind of flight response. Right. Which, you know, might gross out whatever was going to eat you. <laughs> um, so maybe there's some sort of that element in it. But yeah, it is sort of an interesting thing. My son and I, you know, sometimes we'll pick up a frog gently, I want to say, um, to examine it. Maybe show it off to some other kids, and they often will poop or pee yeah. on their hands, and that's a maybe a fear getting ready for flight type thing, or it could be the gross out strategy. Yeah, you're know. talking about toads. Toads, I think. Yeah, I think. toads. I, I mean, frogs also. Yeah, some frogs will too. Um, 
but uh, toads definitely do it. They have those little kidney bean shaped glands on the back of their right. heads or necks or whatever that is. And um, and those are the parotid glands. They produce a, a toxin. So their urine is uh, somewhat noxious. Uh-huh. And so it's a defensive thing that they do. Yeah. So it'd be another another t- reason for timing. Yeah. An under attack. <clears throat> yeah. So we'll be getting to where in next podcast because I do know uh, there are some animals that just tend to poop in the same place over and over. Yeah. And I find that like I want to know more about that. (laughs) I always poop in the same (laughs) toilet. Um, Not a little latrine, you know. There's various various animals that do that, I believe. Yeah, latrine animals. There are different reasons for doing that. Uh, Scent marking, like if you have a small home range and you always poop in the same place, it becomes a sort of stack that accretes over time that becomes an obvious visual marker. So that might be one reason. Raccoons, which are habitual animals and will often spend multiple nights in a row, it's the weirdest thing. It's always on like the uh, side of a tree facing away from water. Um, and so they'll like climb oh. down and then they'll poop at the base of this tree in the same spot like day after day after day. It's really strange. Um, and they'll typically just spend a, a week or two there and then they'll move on? Yeah, it depends on what time of year. Um, so we also didn't really talk about seasonal fluctuations. But as diet changes, you know, the stool consistency will change. But yeah, it, you know, it depends on the time of the year and the breeding season. The males tend to be much more uh, a vagrants, um, wandering from territory to territory looking for breeding females. So it depends a little bit. But yeah, they're, they're latrine animals hippopotamuses are big time latrine animals and when they poop they like projectile poop and their tail swishes back and forth and then it like sprays all over and then they stamp their feet in it so then they walk away from the latrine it creates this horrible reeking trail um so it's like marking out where their territory is so usually latrine animals are animals that are yeah uh marking their and again my grandmother who taught me a lot don't walk behind a hippopotamus with your mouth open, she said. We never <laughs> understood that proverb until now. <laughs> until now. I think I'm going to just amend that to don't walk behind a hippopotamus after hearing that story. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, maybe we'll end there. Uh, so that's sort of like an introduction to what scat is in like a rambling sort of meandering way. Uh, and then over the next few episodes, we're going to talk about some of the adaptations that animals have to move beyond just eliminating waste and how you can you turn a waste product into something that's super super useful so yeah so stick around and learn more than yes. you ever wanted to i feel like we were dropping dropping the nuggets of wisdom tonight sort of like a, a rabbit might just here and there <laughs> but not a fully you know perfect pattern to our to our droppings yeah well hopefully i've left a lot for our uh, listeners to digest and uh <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I'm looking forward to the rest of this. There's going to be so much wordplay possible also. That's great. <clears throat> cool. All right. Well, yeah. Until next time. Yeah. I'm Teague. Thank you, Teague. I'm Glenn. All Thanks right. for listening. Yep. Bye. Hey there, naturalists. Thanks for lending us your ears. There's nothing that makes us happier than chatting about scat for an hour. Except, well, of course, knowing that you're picking up what we're putting down. So if you're digging the podcast, remember to subscribe, and don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Reviews help us get the word out. And be sure to head over to crowspath.org slash podcast for archived episodes and lots of natural history content. All right, well, that's it for now. We'll see you next time on the Single Acorn Podcast. <laughs>